everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Welcome, Kiki. I'm so thankful you're joining us this morning. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. I love your work and I, I love your podcast. And so to be able to share insights here in this really sacred space means a lot to me. So thank you. Well, thank you. The honor is ours. Thank you very, very much. Listen, in preparing to speak with you today, I realized something I said almost 30 years ago. We must aim as a team to inspire, instruct, and motivate. We inspire with our story. Our personal stories are wise, right? We instruct here with our story, our corporate story. What does it mean to be a person, to be a human being, fully integrated, whole? Mm -hmm. In institutions of faith, we're called into holiness, into integration, into understanding the role of the spirit working through a soul in a body, right? And that's what we instruct a lot about around here. It occupies much of our conversation, but then motivating. Motivating is how can a person take that information and slowly begin to make it their own, reason for themselves, and take what serves them and dismiss what doesn't, but live again with integrity, meaning that their spirit can operate through their soul and their body. So we don't go into tailspins when confusion, chaos, and disease hits us, whether it's in the form of cancer or a divorce or an addiction. So what a beautiful framework for a person, for a corporation. I think I can definitely resonate with that as a coach. I think we often teach what we feel ourselves. And so that's that inspired part. And of course, there is an element of instruction. And um, I hope that everyone also really gets that element of motivation in, in our conversation today, because it's great to feel inspired and to be like, oh my God, that was so interesting. And then walk away and not do anything about the issue. So I really appreciate you kind of framing all of that out so we can hit it all. Thank you. Well, I want everyone to hear your story and how you came to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have been in the wellness world, so to speak, for about a decade now. I've always been intrigued by, at first it was healthy recipes and I got super into cooking and I would do food demos. I ran retreats. Then I got super into exercise. And then I started working with different health and wellness startups, whether it be recipe development. I was also working with tech startups. And somewhere along the way, I I came across you and your work and, and your podcast, of course, because I was so immersed in wellness, but also feeling like a call to that next step, more of the the progressive kind of spiritual and and having that that next step that beyond physical element and and that's really where I came came about in terms of your work. On the other side, my journey in wellness eventually took kind of a turn because I became obsessed with it. And when I say obsessed, really around the food part of it, I started losing weight and I started getting all of these compliments because I was losing weight. And I kind of associated, oh, if I eat less or if I eat super quote unquote healthy, 
I'm going to get all of this positive attention. So this is great. And it served me for a little while until it started to consume me and it consumed my thoughts and I lost myself. I became, okay, Kiki is healthy. Kiki only eats health food and Kiki has to be skinny in order to be of value to this world. My days were spent thinking about eating or thinking about not eating. And I really kind of lost my path in life because I was so focused on maintaining a certain frame and maintaining a certain kind of health degree that I became so unhealthy thanks to my obsession with health. I eventually started binge eating because I was so sick of being in this deprivation state where there were so many rules that eventually it would backfire and then I would go on another diet and it just became this this diet swinging experience that I actually had to take a step back from the wellness world and really take some time to heal and find myself and really heal my relationship to food. And I did it in various ways, but I actually, I worked with with a coach that really inspired me and really taught me a new way to reconnect with my gut. And, And that was so powerful for me because I finally was able to relearn how to respect and understand my hunger, my satiety, and ultimately take really good care of myself, not from a place of, oh, I should eat this, or I shouldn't eat this, or intermittent fasting, or anything like that. But it was from a place of what is what does my higher self deserve, and how can I best serve her? And uh, it was so powerful that I shared it with friends and family, and eventually turned it into what's now my career and my full-time work, is, is helping other women struggling with diet swinging with the star binge cycle, really relearn the boundaries of their body and so that they can quit obsessing about food and and actually take real proper care of themselves from a place of love. What is the anatomy of an eating disorder? And the reason I'd like a specific answer to that, I know it's complicated and it's got many layers. And I'd like to know in your estimation, going through that journey yourself, Tell me what in your estimation is the anatomy. I would say the key element is, I often say with clients, is you're eating out of order. So anytime that you're eating out of order, in my definition, is you're eating when you're not hungry or you're not eating when you are hungry. And I think to simplify it to that extent really sums up disordered eating and an eating disorder. It's you're not respecting and honoring the boundaries of the body. What's the emotional constitution? You answered clearly what the anatomy is, which is eating out of order. Now, I want to know what is the psychology behind it? I would say it is a disconnection from the self. And so the gut holds our core identity, right? And so in, for example, in spiritual traditions where they, they practice fasting, right? It's almost this, this way to fully connect with ourselves without the buffer of food right? And so when we have an eating disorder, there's this disassociation with the self and whether it be, you know, we're using food as a buffer so that we don't connect with ourselves or we're ignoring the call for hunger and we're ignoring the need for fuel by again, disconnecting with ourselves. And and to simplify it, it's we're turning off the feeling in our stomach and the feeling in our gut and the gut 
again, it holds the core identity. The gut is what moves us forward. There's the head, the heart, the gut, right? And in the head, we come up with the strategy of, you know, what it is that we want to do. And then we have to tap into the heart of, okay, is this feeling right for me? Is this feeling true for me? And then the gut, there's a reason why they say, you know, do you have the guts, right? It propels us forward. It's, it's where we get our courage from. As you're speaking, several things come to mind. (laughs) And one of the things that strike me is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I believe in my observation, the heart is central. The heart is a function of the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, the feelings. According to the will, the mind and the heart, it sends electric impulses to the brain. And the brain decides the most productive life-giving resource to sustain the life of the organism. And that is what regulates. And then, of course, that goes straight to the stomach and whatnot. How does that stand in light of what you just said? Because they seem like conflicting things, and perhaps they're not. No, I think uh, so. Have you heard of multiple brain integration technique, MBIT? Because that is very similar to... to no, I have not heard of okay. that, but tell it's, us about it. Uh, <laughs> that's something that I haven't, uh, I'm not MBIT certified, but I've, I've read their books and I've connected with the colleagues there. And essentially it's it's getting at coherence, right? Which I think is the root essence of, of what you're talking about. It's when we're fully connected to ourselves, our head, our heart, and our gut are able to communicate. And we need to be in a state of coherence in order to feel our true selves and to be calm and to be Mm -hmm. present, right? And Mm -hmm. so eating, for instance, is very in order to do it, you need to be in the moment, at least to do it in order. Mm -hmm. It's an in the moment present activity, right? And so for those that they don't want to connect with themselves, they don't want to have that coherence, they do it now it's known as mindless eating. They do it mindlessly. They're multitasking or, you know, they're simply not doing it because eating is such an intimate experience that an intimate gift that you give the body. And so for those of us that there's this element of not liking ourselves, not feeling like we're on the right path for ourselves. We either want to disassociate with that activity of that intimate bond with ourselves, or we want to do it in a way that we're almost not present, right? And we're kind of casting over it. But I think at the at the root of it, yes, all of those things need to be connected. And, and for some clients there, there is, there's that, there's that heart block where they're not feeling like they've, they've got themselves. They don't feel like usually if you tap into your heart, it's this, it's this beautiful feeling of like, ah, you know what, I've got your back. There's that kind of. Yeah. It's about being seen, heard, understood. And if there's a reciprocal or some form of expression in the context of all that, there is at least the hope of alignment that you have with yourself and with others. I think when I'm hearing you speak, and I'd like you to address this, I'm thinking we always talk, we discuss laws of nature, things that are self-evident and appeal to our natural affections. So to make this conversation very, very practical, I always go to fundamentals. I remember being in math classes and in geometry and in calculus. And when I got really lost in those deep waters, I had to go back to basic equations to work myself 
in and out of complexities. So when I felt like I was in really deep waters, just kind of like when I learned to swim and I started panicking, I had to tiptoe back to where I had a footing. That's how I managed to survive college and statistics and math, right? Totally. And when we have conversations like this, something that I don't fully, fully understand, I I mean, I have all the head information. I read all the research. I understand what's being said, but my plumb line is always the people I'm working with. I'm very, very quiet and I listen to them and there isn't a cookie cutter anything. That's why I don't like to diagnose, treat or cure. I don't know that that's the best approach to dealing with problems. The whole diagnostic, the treatment and the cure, these conversations can become complicated and in their complexity, it can send us all on rabbit trails and in endless vicious cycles of dealing with these conditions for a lifetime. And I have found that within even the limited knowledge I have and the limited resources we have, we've been successful in helping people get out of these vicious cycles. And I have to go, like I just mentioned, to those places where I feel like I'm losing my footing because I don't have enough knowledge. I go Mm -hmm. to laws of nature, things that are self-evident and appeal to my natural affections. And that specific form of thinking takes me back to what happens when a baby comes out of the womb, the most fundamental beginning, right? And that baby has a need. A need is expressed. And so they cry. Intuitively, we touch, we comfort, and then we feed. It's intuitive, those three things, right? I hear you, I see you, I hear you, and I can do something about about this and there's that bonding that takes place with the mom and I think that doesn't change in how the expression or I've observed it doesn't change in the expressions of eating disorders if the child doesn't feel seen doesn't feel heard doesn't feel comforted I believe that food and maladaptive relationships with food begin to take form so it's something as simple of that as that in my equation is that oversimplified or do you find no it's it's so interesting that you mention it from that perspective because I am also all about getting back to the basics and I often say you know you were born knowing how to eat right you even said it the first thing we we didn't we didn't need to be taught how to do it it was an intuitive knowing right and and that intuitive knowing depending on your circumstances but for most of us carries on through childhood in the sense of we feel a hunger so then we you know look or ask for food, we have it. And then we stop when we're feeling balanced and then we move on with our life. Right. Right. And And if if there's early childhood attachment infringement, if there's an infringement in early childhood attachment and that cycle's broken in the early stages of life, many eating disorders emerge from not knowing those early childhood patterns in your own life. Could that create an eating disorder later on in life? Absolutely. I think it comes down to this control element, right? So eating is ultimately a independent decision that that actually announces our freedom, freedom of choice, whether it be what we're eating, whether it be when we're eating, right? It's really the only thing that we have complete, utter control of, right? And it's, again, when we're coming from our gut, that courage element, right? And so when we feel like we can't make our own decisions, 
things that we're not allowed to or that we're not worthy based on what might have happened in, in childhood or whatever messages have been sent, then yeah, we we resist that freedom of choice that we have. And so either we stop eating, we get on all of these diets because we're like, oh, I don't know how to eat. Let me like research the way that I'm supposed to. And we 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 make it this head activity versus this gut activity. Yeah. And the soul and the heart activity, right? Yeah. Let me ask you something. What is the most effective way to help people understand when they're struggling, like, let's say, anorexia? Yeah. Bulimia. Those two. And they may be very different. I want you to address them individually. But regardless, let's just talk about eating disorders as a whole. Regarding control. And controlling the intake, controlling some facet of their life. Is it necessary for them to realize that, wait a minute, this addiction is controlling me. I'm not controlling it. Is that a necessary part of healing or no? I think in my experiences, there has to be an element of, wait a minute, this isn't working for me anymore. And but what does that mean, right? What does that mean not working for me? It's the discomfort becomes worse than the, the current situation, right? And so there, there could still be discomfort in either way. For me, I had discomfort and, oh, you know, wait a minute, this isn't working for me, but I didn't want to heal it because I was like, but I, I still want to be skinny and I still want to be this and I still want to be that. And I want to so be complimented. Exactly. So when the discomfort, so when the discomfort becomes greater than the benefits, than the exactly. benefits of the indulgence, Exactly. That's when that's the beginning of a healing trend or a healing cycle. And at least in my experience for myself, for clients, there has to be a willingness to be attached to your success versus your victimhood or versus the, whether you call it the addiction or disorder, um, you have to make the choice, the decision that, you know what? I don't want this anymore. I'm ready to see a new way for me. I'm ready to follow a new, a new path. And ultimately I'm, I'm ready to heal. And you talk a lot about the heart and I often hear, and I can see in clients that are ready, they're like, I just want to love myself. And I know that we're talking about food, right. And, and, an eating disorder, but ultimately it comes down to this returning to, okay, you know, I want to honor my heart, my gut, and I'm ready to respect myself again. And so there has to be that willingness. I know for myself, I've, I, my parents tried to put me in therapy and people were like, Oh no, that, you know, you need to fix this. But it wasn't until I was like, okay, you know what? The, the cons are outweighing the benefits here. And so, you know, I'm, I'm ready for a new way. How old were you when you had an eating disorder or you realized you had an eating disorder? You know, it's so interesting because I think for myself as a millennial woman, but I think women of all ages, and and you mentioned it as well. I think it's all, I work specifically with women, but I think men as well, and including of all Mm -hmm. ages, I think a lot of us are on the spectrum of having disordered eating at times. um, And that is due to a lot of the messages that we, that we hear around, this is good, this is bad. So I think that when I had a quote unquote eating disorder, I think I was probably about 17 or 18 
brain, but I think that I picked up on disordered eating tendencies or at least out of order eating as a child, right? And I I come from, my, my dad is Greek and I remember it was just, there was always, okay, like you've got to eat everything like as fast as possible. And, and you know, and, and if you don't, then there's something wrong. And it's all of these little things that then when we're in a place where we're sad or, or feeling off of our path, we turn to food, whether it be, you know, stuffing it down our faces or whether it be intense restriction, because it's this, this, um, this emotional element in our life, or at least we've been kind of trained or designed to see it like that versus fuel for the body when you're hungry. It's what, in- what is the family of a person who struggles with eating disorder? Everything has a root cause. These things have deep deep roots. I always say our story didn't begin at home. It began in the home of the home of our parents, parents, parents. What does that look like in your- Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And that's as well why I thought it was so relevant that I come on your podcast, because you realize that everything is relational at the end of the day. And it's the exact same with eating and in disordered eating. And even when I speak with, with women and they're like, oh no, like my childhood's great. And you know, it was all good. I never, it, you know, they're sort of fluffing it off. Like, nope, not that. Like it's not my childhood or it's not my parents, like move on next thing. But then I'll work with them. And after a few weeks, there'll be a breakdown and, and they'll cram. Oh, actually like, yeah, I, I did have to finish my plate. Or actually, yeah, when I ate those kinds of food, my dad laughed at me or whatever it is. And it didn't have to be this super traumatic thing, but it's these little things when we're so sent, when we're so sensitive and open as children, um, whether it was a remark that one, you know, your dad made one time and he wasn't trying to be cruel or whether it was a more extreme case of, you know what, food wasn't always available to us and we had a big family. I think the anatomy of an eating disorder doesn't always revolve around food. It's a matter of fact, it seldom does. It has to do with how a person feels seen, heard, and understood in a family system. And the food part of it, yes, sometimes it's important. But when I think of what's transpired in the last 50, 60 years and how life has changed, how the anatomy of a family has changed, how just sitting around a table and enjoying conversations and a place to connect as a family and bear each other's burdens and have meaningful conversations. And a lot of decompression happens around meals. Covenants, agreements are made around meals traditionally. So I think it's the relationship component with ourselves, with people, and how we learn to see ourselves in the context of those relationships that I think that's what's fed this frenzy with eating disorders. And I'd like you to comment on that. Oh my goodness. Yes. You're so, you're hitting a lot of the the root forms here. So the first thing I often say, look, life is hard. Eating is simple. Right. And so, yeah, you're, you're getting at, it's not really about the food. Right. And I say that because a lot of clients struggling or a lot of women struggling, they're like, Oh, you know what? I just need to do this more. I just need to eat less of this or more of this. And it's like, you're looking at the wrong problem, right? There's, there's something going on with, with your life that you're feeling this lack of alignment and therefore you're turning to, to obsess about food, right? Now you talk about eating at with family, right? And so if we look at 
cultures where eating is, you know, you sit down often with friends or family, you take the break, it's a ritual. I was just in Greece all of last um, month and it's like a four hour event. I think it's the same in Italy where you sit down, you're with your loved ones and you're eating, right? And that is a break from life, right? Now, when we look at the North American culture, oftentimes food is so disentangled with the movement of life. We're eating on the go. We're shoving things down while we're on a Zoom call, right? Especially now, a lot of us are working from home. We, we're always just chasing this hunger. We're always snacking, whatever it is. And we're not kind of separating food from the movement of life, right? Whereas before, you know, maybe when you were younger eating with family, it's like you would wait and honor hunger and then you would enjoy that ritual together. And it was a place for you to not only fuel your body, but also connect with your loved ones. Yeah, you honor, yeah, you honor each other. Exactly. And you meet the need and satisfy the hunger. It's a natural consequence of. Exactly. Although there's great joy in the preparation, celebration, and the food and everything, the aim and the goal is always the relationships. When's dad coming home? When's mom going to be home? And just the longing for connection and relationship. Exactly. Yeah, there's something sacred about that time. There's something meaningful. And even when we look at the historical Christ in context of his life and his Mm -hmm. teachings, you realize what a central place gathering around a table and the exchange of ideas, of conversation, just the decompression that took place and the instruction and the vulnerability right that was displayed in those places so when there isn't a place for that and anyway I just wonder how much our harried lifestyles go go come do how much it's really disconnected us from each other and the role that that has had in fueling this problem with eating disorders and I, I just wanted to I was wondering what you know about that yeah well honestly I think if I can estimate the amount of women or, or, or men struggling with eating disorders simply because due to that, simply due to just always being on, always having this on the go lifestyle, always feeling like, you know, they need to be in motion, doing things. That would be it. That would be the number one. I mean, think about it. Eating is a very intense doing thing, right? And so for a lot of us, it's like, oh, I can't take a break. So when I think about it, eating is a very intense action, right? And so for a lot of people that are uncomfortable with just being with themselves, with having that softness, that still, that calm, but they need a break because their their body is just dying for a pause, right? Then we turn to food because it's the only way that we can just take a break, check out, right? Rather than just being okay with, okay, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing for five minutes or, you know, just connect with myself, just listen to my thoughts and and be calm. And the idea of that is almost more scary. I'll, I'll sometimes say to women, I'll be like, okay, well, you know, you're using an example would be you're using food as transition, right? It's okay. going to come home before I take the kids out. Uh, You know, I'm going to have a snack, right? Because that's just a transitional thing. Can you just stop? 
and is it transitional or just transactional? I think both uh, relate, but I mean transition in the way of we're using food out of order in the way of even just to transition Mm -hmm. between tasks. We're like, okay, we'll put food there, right? Versus having that moment to connect with ourselves, right? Versus just sitting and being with ourselves, right? And hearing our heart. And, and instead it's, okay, I'll have a snack, right? And it's like, are you really hungry? Or, or again, is it that disconnection from yourself? And so there's eating as avoidance, right? If, for, for women, sometimes in difficult relationships and not wanting to necessarily have a certain conversation or whatever it is, it's almost like we can turn to food as our back out of something, as, as procrastination, as as this way to, again, buffer ourselves from the situation. And then when we have food in our stomach, we also buffer from, from actually feeling our, our, ourselves most fully. Right. And so I think whether it be on, and that's more on the, on the side of overeating or, or binge eating, but it's the exact same with overly restrictive eating or, you know, a lack of eating under eating. Do you work with girls and men or boys who struggle with anorexia? I work with women that struggle with anorexia. Anorexia. Okay. What is the difference between somebody who's struggling with anorexia in terms of root cause and healing and somebody, for example, who struggles with bulimia? Okay. So this is a really interesting question because it's actually very, very similar in the sense of it's a return to honoring hunger and satiety. So with anorexia, we're dealing with women that are trying their, their very best with ignoring hunger, right? And, be, and then what we need to do is acknowledge that, okay, got it. And that's usually a fairly, fairly quick process. And then it's okay. So if we're ignoring hunger, we need to find the way back. To, to get there. And for some women, it's like, I don't even know when I'm hungry versus not. So it's, it's really taking the time. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks to tap into, okay, what is that feeling of hunger? And when it's there, having permission to respond to it and fuel the body with things that taste good to them. So when you think of anorexia, you think somebody who's starving themselves, but that's very intentional. Yeah, that's very deliberate. Yeah. That's a decision. What is the root of that decision to starve yourself? Because I think it has, I guess in some ways it has a lot to do with food, but it has very little to do with food. It has little to do with food. Food is just the the vice, right? It's just the pathway there. And honestly, it's so different for everyone. Just like I, I know how you're not into, you know, cookie cutter solutions, diagnosing, I'm not. And moving on. It's the exact same with, with anorexia. The first thing you have to do is realize that it's not the food. And I think people still miss that, right? Even when I was dealing with my own things, like, oh my God, we just got to get her to eat. It's like, no, even if you pump me with food. So with anorexia, if it's not the food, it's going to solve the problem. Yeah, it won't solve the problem. So if it's not the food, what is it? Somewhere along the way, it's a disconnection with the self and it can be anything in the sense of, you know, there was childhood trauma, there's a lack of, you know, even just confidence, there's a lack of, you know, I'm, I'm no longer on my path. That's more of like a heart thing where the heart feels blocked, because it's like, I, I don't feel like uh, I'm protected. I don't feel like I want to move forward. So it's individual. 
it's completely individual. And for women that are ready to, or men that are ready to, okay, I'm going to get back to quote unquote normal eating. I work with the process of re-understanding and relearning because they already knew it. As I said, as children, we know how to eat, but that journey beforehand in the sense of, okay, like, you know, I'm ready to let that go. That's something that I feel like I'm not even an expert in. That's something that's incredibly, uh, that's a lot of emotional, spiritual work. And I think deeper healing. That's what we do with rest. I think that's what we do with rest. I have to get to that before I can send somebody to the next level. Because if we, if they don't see the conflict between the stories they're telling themselves, which is a function of the soul, the stories they're carrying that they're often not aware of, and the story of design, if they don't get those three narratives right, and they're not subject for interpretation, right? If you don't get those three stories right, there is no diet, there is no hospital, there is no treatment center, there's no place that you can go to heal. You have got to step into this place of rest, reconciling the conflict you have within yourself to begin to understand relationships, food, feelings, conflicts, dissonance. You need to understand these things because if not, you're enslaved by all these external things and you're not governing, you're not self-governing from your core. And you're blocked. Exactly. So I would actually say, Virginia, that I come after that. Right. And for women that they, you know, they, they have these issues and they ultimately need to heal that first, or at least have acknowledgement, at least be on the path to alignment. And then I come in where it's like, okay, now I need to relearn how to eat. I need to relearn how to understand my hunger, how to respect my satiety Mm -hmm. cues, you know, how to really step away from the rules and regulations that diet culture has driven into our heads so that I can connect with my own sense of eating. It's funny you should say that because, yeah, because several doctors have sent me their patients that are struggling with eating disorders. And frankly, I don't know if anybody's an expert on anything, but some Mm -hmm. of us are certainly more experienced than others. And I wouldn't say I had a measure of experience dealing with eating disorder. I just didn't have the level of experience that other people did. And then I realized that the reason they were sending them to me is because in the context of dealing with the disordered eating or the eating disorder, that the deeper soul work, and I have a lot of neurotechnologies that I use and biofeedback technologies and heart rate variability. I have a number of resources that I use that make the process go very, very quickly. So it's good because I do think it takes collaboration. We all need to work together. And that's why I wanted to have this discussion with you. It's so much better to send those struggling with disordered eating, specifically if they're really, really struggling with anorexia, bulimia, whatever it may be. I think I come more at the step of, you know, women that are more orthorexia. So that's an obsession with healthy eating. They're kind of the A-type perfectionist. But if you're listening to this, or if you know someone and they're fully struggling with, you know, that decision, as you're saying to not eat, there needs to be some deeper soul work done. um, Because it's not just a matter of, 
oh, I'm scared of being sad or, oh, I don't want to eat this because it's unhealthy or whatever it is. There's something there that, that needs deeper healing in order for them to move forward. And I think what's super, super key is that we don't send them to the, t- it's so great. You, you mentioned like, oh, I, I, I didn't think of myself as an expert in eating disorders, but that's exactly why you were the best person to send them to. Because when we send people with eating disorders to someone that focuses on eating disorders, like a therapist or, or you know, a, a patient program, guess what they do? They put them on plans where again, the focus is uh, meal plans I'm referring to, where again, the focus is eating right? And then it's, especially if it's been eating as achievement uh, in their past, it's again, eating as achievement. Now, instead of achievement being that they're not eating, now the achievement is, oh, okay, I'm eating on the plan, right? But it's not fixing the root problem, which is this, this, as you talk about the chaos, the confusion, mm-hmm. the driving the behavior. Right. Exactly. That causes them to be enjoying a meal, thinking about the next two and three meals they're going to have. Exactly. Yeah, there's an obsession with food. And we talk about that here in the context of being enslaved by something. Yeah. And in bondage to think. So I agree. I'm all about helping people live free. Yeah. Live free. And so they can be present with themselves, with God. Yeah. So they can be sensitive to these beautiful spiritual experiences we can have yeah. with people, with, with God, with nature, mm-hmm. with people in yeah. the context of relationships. So yeah. we're about displacing confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in the lives of people. And something as simple as food, if we don't understand our relationship with food well it can send our lives into a tailspin but I think there's a lot of misinformation around it and the only reason I think there is is because of the patients that I see that shift from one addiction to another addiction and the cycle is still one of enslavement to external drugs alcohol and eating disorders. In my observation, I have found that there's promiscuity, Mm -hmm. there's alcohol addiction and eating disorders. Those things go together and they cycle. When a person's not experiencing one, they're experiencing the other, but they're in bondage. They're enslaved by one of those addictions. And I want to help them get out of the addictions. That's why I think it's futile to just talk about food, to just talk about alcohol, or to just talk about values and moralities and all of that when I'm dealing with promiscuity. That's not the root cause. It's simply a symptom. Right. It's not the alcohol. It's not the sex. And it's not the food. It's Honestly, if... if if that's the only takeaway of this episode, it's not the food. I think that's so powerful because still so many people struggling, they think that they need help with the food part, right? Or they think that it's it's this matter of fixing the food or like, and then, you know, as I said, the inpatient programs, they put them on the plans, but then as you said, it'll just uh, circle into the next addiction. It'll just flip flop into something else. And so what needs to We've happen- We've got to get to the root cause. Deep, exactly. 
is to erase that confusion, is to bring clarity, is to, to explore that chaos and to bring ease from disease. And that's what it is. And I think women work with me because it's, they think they need to fix their food problem. And then they, they realize that it's like, oh, actually I have a, there's something else going on here. It's not the food because it could have been alcohol. It could have been promiscuity. It could have been something else, but that's just how it's showing up. Well, the only way I've been able to help my patients or my clients, whichever case, whether they were patients or they were clients, is to really invite them into this place of rest to reconcile mm -hmm. the conflicts within themselves. Yeah. And we have a module series and it's available online. So if you have patients and clients, they can certainly that's one way I can support your work. And that. then we get into module one is just instructional. I rest. Mm -hmm. Module two is about the physiology and the anatomy of these states of unrest, but of rest. We put it all in the positive, yeah. right? And helping them yeah. understand that psycho, neuro, emotional, spiritual connection. And then it's application. So they don't just go through healing and training. And we have these meaningful and profound conversations, right, every other week. Mm -hmm. But module three is application. So then how can they take that information that they've learned that is instrumental in helping them heal? How can they take it and share it and help other people and create communities of rest and healing? It's not about the food. Definitely. It's not about the alcohol. It's not about the drugs. And it's not about the promiscuity that's sending your life into a tailspin. It's about the root broken heart, the shattered soul, and the relationship you have with your spirit, your soul, your body, and your understanding of that, the relationship and the context you have for the creative order of things, for design with God, mm -hmm. and then how that translates into how you relate to one another. And the manifestation of those things is our relationship with food, with men, yeah. and with pleasure. Any thoughts you'd like to add to that? No, I don't know. The, this conversation just brought me back to the core. Yeah, that, that's what it is. And I think that although your application of your method might be obviously different, but I think that that's why I was always so drawn to your work because you get it at the essence of it, right? And and yeah, there is that rest that needs to take place. And I think for a lot of us, Sounds. We need comfort, right? It's comfort and comfort is the path to step into those places of rest. Yeah. 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 And I think that for some of us, it sounds kind of unsexy. We're addicted to this intensity of like, oh, I need to fix this. And it should feel really hard and it should be intense. And there should, you know, and I think sometimes when we hear these like, oh, we need to soften into ourselves and 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 explore rest, we're kind of like, oh no, like you don't get it. I need to do something big and intense but that's the biggest most intense like most powerful gift that you can give yourself i encourage anyone listening to to you know further tap into to your work and i think it's just it's it's so powerful even if it feels sometimes not so hard we're so addicted to things that feel almost feel hard we expect it to to be this kind of grueling experience when really it's softening into rest that can be the thing that propels you the most forward it's true it doesn't have to be hard I mentioned earlier life's not easy these transactions can be 
painful for sure, but they're not any more painful than what addictions rob you of and what they take from you. It's not more painful than that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was, I feel like I learned a lot, even in this discussion. I just, I love hearing your perspectives on, on my perspectives. I think you just are able to soar with them and you're just such an insightful spirit. And so thank you for, for sharing and for creating this platform and allowing me to share a little bit about me and and taking it to that next level. You're really, truly wonderful. Oh, God bless you. And you're so welcome. The pleasure is all mine. I think in closing, I'd like to say the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease of our times manifests itself in a variety of addictions. And we discuss those often. And my aim and my hope is to equip people with resources by helping them think differently because that's where transformation happens. When we expand our perspective and we begin to look at things differently, it's the genesis of transformation. And when our hearts are transformed, I always talk about that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but when the heart is transformed, it sends this electric magnetic energy, this frequency to the brain, the body that runs the body and amazing things can happen just by having these meaningful conversations and perhaps looking at much of what's tormenting a generation differently. So at least we touched on this topic and I want to thank you because if these things are not resolved, the end of this is a variety of different illnesses and disease states that just, I think, can be prevented. Absolutely. Thank Thank you, Kiki. God bless you. you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Stay tuned for a following announcement. We were so pleased to have Kiki with us on the podcast today. And in honor of all of the women who struggle with disordered eating, we want to support your healing by giving 25% off for our on-demand day of rest event through our website. Just use the coupon code KIKI in all caps at checkout. If you'd like more information about Kiki or to get in touch, you can go to her website, kikiathanas.com, or follow her on Instagram at kiki underscore athanas. That's A-T-H-A-N-A-S. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949 or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>